Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Boy, this is a great time of year to be taking care of business, you know? I mean, right here at the end of the year, you may be listening to this after the first of the year. That's okay. We're in the first part of starting a brand new year. What a great time to be taking care of business. You know, life is not something that just happens to us. Life is something we create. Now's a great time to be looking ahead. What do you want to create in 2011? What kind of a year is that going to be for you? Is it going to be just another year of repeating what you've done? Or is it going to be a year where you knock it out of the park with some new accomplishments that you've already identified. And, you know, that's really what it is. You know, this is an in-between time. Now, I'm going to tell you in just a second here what we're going to be talking about today in this edition of 48 Days Podcast. Got some great questions from people, as always. But, um, you know, there's this time. Now, I'm speaking on the Wednesday in between Christmas and New Year's. This is a week for me where I am just really jazzed about refining my goals for the upcoming year. Now, I know there's a lot of different opinions about this. I got a the blog this morning from Mike Hyatt. Mike is the CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishers. And if you don't get his blog, I suggest that you do it. Uh, Michael Hyatt, H-Y-A-T-T dot com will take you right to it. It's not just about publishing. It's about being successful in business and life. Mike's a well-balanced guy and has a lot of great advice. But he says he's taking a break this week. And encourages other people to do the same. So he's just re- really not doing anything this week. There was also a blog this week from Chris Brogan. Now, Chris is a popular blogger. I wrote the book Trust Agents, understands the world of the Internet. And again, if you're trying to develop a business or even just personal success, that's another great one to have. Chris Brogan, his last name is B-R-O-G-A-N. Now, Chris says... You better be working this week because this is a time to kind of jump ahead of everybody. It's like if you're running a marathon and you come to mile 25 and everybody decides they're going to stop and take a drink. You know, what should you do? Golly, if you're really in the game to win, you keep going. You surge ahead when everybody else is taking a rest. And that's the way Chris presents it. Uh, Those are just different opinions and it's not a right or wrong. But for me, We did a lot of playing leading up to Christmas, but now that Christmas is over, kids have gone back home, the house is quiet, all the sugary food is out of the house. Boy, this is a great time for me to kind of uh, cleanse physically, spiritually, and in business, get ready to launch into what I want to do. I don't want to start the year and then start scratching my head and saying, what am I going to do? And I encourage you to be in that position as well, where you've already decided what the year's going to look like. And the interesting thing is, once you decide, and this is not just some kind of mind game, some kind of positive mental attitude thing, but once you really decide what the year's going to bring and you write it down, it's amazing. It's almost like a magical process that starts happening, that starts leading you toward what you've already planted in your mind. Now, these are solid principles. They've worked well for me for many, many years. So this is an exciting week for me to be looking ahead. What do I want this next year to look like? 
Now, here are some of the things I'm going to be talking about today. These are some of the questions. Dan, what are your thoughts on a judgment recovery business? Dan, how can I be more business-minded and less caregiving? Interesting question there coming up. Guy says, should I be pragmatic or follow my heart? Well, you know where I'm going to take that one. Guy says, long story short, Dan, I'm a 42-year-old failure. And he gives evidence of that in, in the note that I'll read to you. Lady says, my husband has been looking for a job for at least three years. Uh-oh, got a problem there. Houston, we got a problem. That's, believe me, when somebody's been looking for a job for three years, it's not the economy, it's not a recession, it's not what political power is in Washington, D.C., none of those things. It's something very, very close to home. Uh, very close, like between your own two ears. So we'll talk about that. And somebody says, how can I do my job well when I'm easily offended and react defensively? So great questions. A lot of good stuff coming up. Now, one of the things, uh, you know, I had a song going through my head this morning. <laughs> I could not get it out of my head. It just stayed there. So I came in, I picked it up. You'll recognize why I'm bringing this to you. This, you'll recognize it instantly. Monday, Monday, can't trust that day. Monday, Monday, it just turns out that way. What Monday, Monday, won't go away. Monday, Monday won't go away. Give me a break. You know. Sometimes you get a song like that just stuck in your head and it just won't go away. And that's kind of what happened to me. I don't know why. Something must have triggered that. But I thought about that old Mamas and Papas song, Monday, Monday. But you, you hear the song, Monday, Monday, can't trust that day. And then they go on, you know, every other day of the week is fine. <laughs> but Monday, well, obviously I think about Mondays a lot. Uh, having written No More Dreaded Mondays. And then we got the No More Mondays cruise coming up as well. I mean, we aren't going to erase Monday from the calendar. That's not the point. But we're going to erase that negative kind of feeling that seems to come with so many people, where it's just an accepted kind of thought that Mondays suck. You know, thank God it's Friday, you know, and then Monday rolls around. Well, you can change how you think about Mondays. Now, personally, you know, Mondays are energizing for me. And of course, you would expect me to say that, but they really are. I mean, I, sometimes people ask me if I'm living the life that I talk about. And I tell them, you know, come see me. Come hang around with me for a while. And then you decide. Um, I do enjoy Mondays, you know, after a weekend of kind of laying low and Golly, I've got notes made to myself and all kinds of things that I'm ready to jump in the game on Monday morning and start accomplishing. Now, my work is unique. There's no question about that. I walk across the nature trail back here to the sanctuary and I come in and open up and review emails and messages, start writing, communicating. I mean, I'm doing, but it's things that I enjoy. I mean, that's the only novelty about it. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be, your work doesn't have to duplicate mine. But if you, in fact, experience enjoyment and fulfillment, a sense of meaning, purpose, and accomplishment in what you're doing, then certainly the dread of Mondays is removed. Well, 
we're, we're going to take that theme on the high seas, obviously. You know, now that it's getting closer, I really am getting excited about it. When it's so far off in the distance, like, oh, yeah, we're going to do that thing in February. And all of a sudden, February's coming. Golly, if you have not made plans to join us, I encourage you to take seriously looking at the possibility. Now, is it luxurious? Absolutely. Is it splurging? I suppose you could say that. But, I mean, if you frame it in terms of this could be an experience that could dramatically change your level of success this next year, I mean, then how do you frame that? I mean, I go to, I've gone to lots of seminars and workshops over the years and some that I didn't think applied that directly to the work that I was doing. And yet I go confident that I'm going to get one or two ideas while I'm there that I'll have direct application to what I'm doing. I went to one uh, this last well, this year, the year that we're in now, 2010, I went to one. And again, I went just because I thought it would be fun to go join some other people there. wasn't very directly applicable, but I got one idea that I jotted down and massaged it out. I now have that in my goals to add another $150,000 as an income stream in my business this next year. One idea, one thing that I put in there and really developed it. So what would you have to accomplish? What would you have to be able to add to what you're doing to justify uh, spending a week with us on the No More Mondays cruise? Now, this is a beautiful ship, the Celebrity Solstice we're going to be on. It actually has, Ashley, my daughter, was telling me it has like a grass putting course on it. I think that's what she said. Anyway, there's real grass on it. I think it's got climbing walls and maybe surfing and all kinds of things, but just an amazing ship. But then we're going to have three days at sea, along with the time that we'll be in ports, some really interesting ports like San Juan, Puerto Rico, and down in um, St. Thomas and Virgin Islands. Some really cool places where we'll be able to spend some time just getting a historical overview of the culture there and seeing how other people, I mean, when we get off the ship in these places, I'll have to go in and talk to the local merchants. Of course, they swarm the ship because they know that, you know, rich people are coming in there with better, no more uh, sense than, or more money than sense, perhaps. Anyway, they crowd the ship. But uh, it's interesting to talk to these people about what they do know how they handle business and I've learned from people like that and brought ideas back that have been of value but we're going to have some great days at at sea and in that period of time we're going to have people like Melinda Schmidt who's co-host of Moody Midday Connection Uh, they're syndicated on about 250 stations around the world Uh, she's going to be there Alvin Schlaughter you've heard me talk about him he's going to be uh, helping us understand how to blend work and ministry in a responsible way financially Can you be in ministry and still provide for yourself and your family financially? Absolutely. And we have the responsibility to do that. Cliff Ravenscraft, you know our podcast answer man. Uh, He's going to be bringing some of his wisdom to us. Uh, That's something that a lot of you have talked about wanting to do. And you'll get from Cliff all the basics on how to launch your own podcast, if that's in fact what you want to do. Pierce Mars, he's our go-to guy for the cruise to start with. You'll talk to him. Pierce has this rich, deep, booming voice. He and his wife went on the cruise with us last year, had a wonderful time. He's our point man. It's just something he volunteered to do. So he wants to share his enthusiasm about why he thinks this is a a great process. And he's going to be talking about how to use selling, the fact that we all sell, and how to do that effectively, how to understand that and do that effectively, whether you're a school teacher, 
a pastor, a boss, have your own business, or a housewife. We still all sell. You need to know how to do that well. Joel Bogus, one of our lead coaches, 48 Days Coaches, is going to be there. He's going to be unpacking how we are different in personality style and how we can use that effectively. Dr. Wes Connor is going to be there. Uh, West is a pharmacist, uh, uh, avid uh, fan and person who's been involved in the 48 Days family for a long, long time. He's going to be talking about some of the health issues that we all address and deal with. And then Dr. David and Paula Foster are going to be there. Uh, they have a, a program where they uh, help marriages be healthy. And we're going to be talking about some relationships. Joanne and I are going to be talking a lot about relationships as well. We're going to be out over Valentine's Day this time. So it makes it very appropriate to be talking about relationships. Check out the, the No More Mondays cruise. If you can work it out in your plans, we'd love to see you spend time with you. We'll have a lot of time together that week. We'll be able to eat meals together, hang out around a pool together, go on tours in the ports together. But it'll be a great time to to share ideas, which is uh, what I certainly intend to do. This is not one directional giving in any sense. It's a process of sharing. I learn as much from you who attend as um, you could hope, hope to possibly learn from the seminars you'll be attending as well. Well, if you've got questions, you can always send those to askdan at 48days.com or go to the podcast link in 48days.com. Fill out the little form there. We get those questions in daily. Got a lot of them to go over today. I had a quotation that I'm going to use as our kickoff for today. It comes from Frederick Nietzsche. Now, we know him as a thinker and philosopher, but he was he was very pessimistic and um, struggled with depression, probably mental illness and all kinds of maladies that he struggled with. But he, he said one thing that I had on a blog this week, and I've gotten a lot of response to it, and that is, live so that you may desire to live the same life again. Live so that you may desire to live the same life again. I thought, well, that's pretty cool. Um, again, you don't have to, to use a quotation from somebody, you don't have to agree with everything that that person said. I mean, sometimes I get... I get a a negative feedback because I used a quotation from somebody whose total life philosophy or theology or whatever doesn't line up with that person and they are offended because I used a quotation. Well, don't go there. I mean, I look for inspiration in a lot of sources. Uh, In the Bible, God used a donkey to speak one time, and I'm sure he's used a few donkeys since then to give wisdom to the world. So uh, I, I look for words of wisdom that I can separate from the total life of the person if necessary. I don't know why I went there. But anyway, that's that was that's going to be our quotation for the day. Live your life so that you may desire to live the same life again. Well, let's go right into the questions. Stuart says, Dan, I'm back and forth. I love art and collectible die cast, and I want to make a living selling it. I'm not sure whether or not I should focus on a niche or a broader market. For an example, military and aviation art or just one of them seems easier to purchase merchandise for one theme, but then it cuts my market in half. Wait, Stuart, you have to rethink how you're looking at this issue. If you decide to focus just on military art and die cast figures, as an example, it doesn't mean you cut your market in half. I mean, if we really took that philosophy, then McDonald's ought to sell you know, pancakes and oatmeal and they ought to sell steak 
and they ought to sell. But they don't. They're very narrow in what they do. Now, does that limit their market? Well, theoretically, that's true. But when you have as big a market as what you're talking about, narrowing down can work to your advantage because it gives you a specific identity. I mean, if you think Sears or Best Buy, now Sears has a bigger market, obviously, because they have things that anybody, anybody on the face of the earth could use. So they have a really big market. But does that mean they have a more profitable business? No, not at all. I mean, Best Buy is known for their electronic products. So that's going to be a much more limited market. I mean, if you look at the market that Sears has, Best Buy probably has 10% of that market or maybe even smaller. But they can knock it out of the park because they become known then as the go-to guys, the experts in that area. I mean, remember the old phrase, jack of all trades, master of none. I mean, that, that really has a lot of truth in it. I mean, look at even the medical profession. Who makes more, the general practitioner, you know, the family doctor, or a heart surgeon? Well, my gosh, a heart surgeon may only have as prospects in a town 1% of the people there. But by being excellent in that one very specific thing, I mean, he may make a million dollars. Whereas a guy who just addresses any kind of physical malady that you may have, you know, we're talking really apples and apples here. Somebody who addresses any kind of medical malady that you have, you know, may make $100,000. Now, I mean, it's not always just about how to make money, but if you frame it like that, which one you could be more successful in, I think there's a lot of power in focusing in on a niche. I'm a seller of books, as an example. But I don't sell books on gardening and on weight loss and on theology. I mean, I sell books that have to do with career, your work, you know, building a business. Boom, that's it. If you walk into a bookstore, the books that I have wouldn't, would represent maybe 1% of what a bookstore has. But can I be successful with that very focused niche? Yeah, absolutely. Because I become then known as the go-to guy. If you're looking for something to develop your work, focus, purpose in life, you know, and wrap that around into your business. Well, this comes from Craig. Dan, I'm looking into starting a judgment recovery business. I found out about it in the home-based business mag and have done my due diligence through the Better Business Bureau and at the library. Uh, Now, the judgment recovery business means that somebody is owed money and hasn't collected, and the judgment recovery business is that you go find the person who owes the money and collect the money and then get a percentage of that. I mean, it can be as much as 30 or 40 or 50% of what's recovered. Um, Craig says, there's a course you can purchase for $155. It looks good so far. What are your thoughts on this type of business? Well, Craig, I've got to answer you just as you ask. What are my thoughts on the business? So let me give you that, and then I'll back up a little bit. When I was in high school... I would often spend weekends. Now, I lived at a boarding school down in Virginia, and uh, I would often spend weekends cleaning out chicken coops. There's a lot of big chicken farmers in that area, and so I'd work uh, the weekends cleaning out chicken coops. Now, the chicken products that we were shoveling uh, create an ammonia smell that burns your eyes and nose. It means that it's nasty, stinky, back-breaking work. Now, why do I mention this? Because personally, I would rather fork chicken crap than have a judgment recovery business. 
I mean, I, I cannot imagine having a business where every contact is a negative contact, where I'm going to spend all day long calling people and say, oh, you don't remember, but there was a judgment against you five years ago, and I'm here to collect, and I'm going to make your life miserable, and I'm going to call you 10 times a day until you fork over some money. I mean, I just, I can't imagine being in a business like that. Now, I know that those businesses exist, and there are people that do them, and there are attorneys that are involved in things like that. That's okay. I'm not saying it's a bad business. It's a legitimate business. But would I want to do it? Not in a million years. Now, obviously, you hear me talk about your work ought to be something that you're passionate about, that you enjoy. You can't take just a good business idea and be successful in it if it's not something you enjoy. There are too many, especially in something more entrepreneurial like this, there are too many challenges that are going to come anyway you have to enjoy it. You have to be passionate about it or you're going to burn out. So then the question becomes that. Is this something that you're really going to lay awake thinking about it because you enjoy it so much? You know, you love going after these people and squeezing them for the money. I mean, if you do, then hold your head high and do the business. But for me, not in a million years. There are too many other ways to make money that do not involve that kind of daily, consistent, negative contact with people. Scott says, are the business ideas the same for starting a wholesale business as for a retail business? What's a profit percentage? Well, you know, it's just different. It's not uh, good or bad. It's just different. Um, If you have a retail business, you have a person come in and you purchase that person purchases a product from you, you negotiate the sale, you ring them up and they go out. Now with wholesale, you aren't going to have that. You're going to have the walk-in. You're not going to deal with one small sale at a time. So depending on what it is that you're talking about, I mean, wholesale can be extremely profitable because you increase the volume dramatically. So if you're selling t-shirts and you have a little stand down here in the corner during the street fair, you're going to sell t-shirts one at a time. Let's say that you sell them for 10 bucks a piece and um, your cost is a dollar a piece. So you're making $9 a piece. Well, that's a big profit margin. There's no question about it. So you sell a hundred t-shirts over the course of the weekend. You just picked up a whole bunch of, bunch of money, you know, by doing that. That's a retail business. Let's say that you are selling, that you've got a great design, you've got a great distributorship relationship for your t-shirts, they're a buck a piece, and you get a deal with Walmart where they're going to sell your t-shirts. You're going to sell them to them for $2 a piece. Now that's not, that's a whole lot less than $10, but their first order is 50,000 t-shirts. Now you decide which business would you rather be in? Personally, I'd rather be in the wholesale end. Trust me, way more rather be in the wholesale end than on a retail, even if I'm cutting the margins down dramatically. Here's a concept that'll help you. Occam's razor. Now, if you're not familiar with that term, you can Google it, I'm sure. But Occam's razor, O-C-C-A-M. Occam's razor, this it, it, it's, this is, let me describe to you what it is. It's the law of parsimony or the law of, law of economy, but this is what it means. And I'll just use myself as an example because I've used this principle many, many times. If I write a book and I want to sell 50,000 copies, it's a lot of work 
to find 50,000 people who are going to buy one copy of my book. And that's what we're talking about. Or could I find one company? Could I find an IBM or a Microsoft or a Boeing who says, we're going to buy 50,000 copies of your book because it, the theme is right for our customers or our employees. That's Occam's razor. So rather than selling 50,000 to one person at a time, you sell to one organization, 50,000 copies. I mean, that's what you're talking about in wholesale. You have an economy of scale because you can sell a lot of product to one customer rather than just one customer at a time. Now, we do both here at 48 Days. I mean, I love both sides. I mean, we have a lot of single orders that come in every day, but then and the process is exactly the same. But then we have a lot of organizations that purchase in bulk. I mean, organizations like State Farm who purchase our personality profiles in bulk. You know, churches who may buy a hundred of our participant kits at one time. I mean, I love to see those orders going out here. Do we discount those? Absolutely. But do we make more profit on a single order of a hundred going out of here where we may make a dollar each than on one order where we make nine dollars? Well, sure. I mean, you just you just figure it out. I mean, it's a whole lot easier to put one order out, even if our per book profit margin is slimmer. This comes from Cindy. I love this question. She says, Dan, I've just started listening to your podcast and reading 48 Days to the Work You Love. I'm much like your wife, Joanne, in that my strong bent is to make decisions with my heart rather than my head. I am by nature a caregiver and encourager, and money isn't that great of a motivator for me. I always give too much in business to really make any money. This came to my attention when I sold real estate. My satisfaction came from taking excellent care of others. I loved the people and became friends with most of my clients. I got bogged down with a caregiving thrill rather than doing just enough and moving to the next person. This wouldn't be a bad thing if I didn't need to generate at least $40,000 for our family budget. I've thought of numerous business ideas, but will always struggle with this core part of me that is willing to give away the bank to care for others. Do you have any suggestions for someone like myself to become more business-minded or any business ideas that can be heart-driven and still make consistent, sufficient income? <laughs> well, Cindy, I love your question. And yeah, you, you've identified Joanne really well. Um, we have always recognized that in our family, Joanne's the heart, I'm the head. But uh, Joanna is just like you described. She will give somebody the coat on her back, literally, if they need it. And uh, she just doesn't care about where that leads. Uh, thankfully, we just got through yet another Christmas. Christmas has tended to be a challenging time for me because of Joanne's propensity to give generously. Uh, I guess that implies that I don't give generously. I hate to take it quite to that extreme, but there's certainly a wide gap between Joanne's idea of giving generously and mine. That being said, don't beat yourself up for having a big heart. I mean, what a great compliment to know that you have a big heart, that you really do care. But at the same time, if you need to generate income for your family, then just be strategic about it. I mean, when you are the kind of person that you describe, 
it tends also to imply that you're not real, you know, organized and structured and planned. And again, this is not to change how God has wired you and gifted you, but just to help you in exactly what you're talking about. Now, $40,000 you know, is not a real stretch if you're a real estate agent. And really, that's a pretty fitting career for someone like you who does care about the people that you're serving and working with. What I would encourage you to do is create a schedule for yourself for the results you need. And in that, don't confuse activity with accomplishment. Now, this is one of those things anybody who's in sales deals with. You know, I work with people all the time, you know, who say, Dan, gee, as I'm working, you know, 60 hours a week. And I say, you know what? I don't care. Show me what you did. Show me the number of contacts you had. How many sales calls did you make? How many presentations? How many closes? You know, let's look at the results. So we removed that. Well, gee, I went on a sales call. It should have been 30 minutes, but it turned into a three-hour, you know, chit-chat time because he had the same interest in snowboarding as I did. Well, don't confuse activity. Don't confuse just spending time with somebody. And in real estate, it's really easy to do that. If you spend three hours with somebody, you ought to break down what's your compensation for that three hours of time. Or if you spend 20 hours with somebody and you never pre-qualified them and then find that even though you found a house they liked, they couldn't qualify for a loan, that was not time well spent. So be more strategic about it. Well, let's just break it down a little further. If you have one $150,000 sale, now let's just take that. Let's see, you're in Minnesota, so let's just say that $150,000 is an average price for a house. Six percent commission on that is going to be nine thousand dollars. If you were not the listing agent, then you're going to split that with the broker or whoever listed it. So you get three percent. So your commission on a hundred fifty thousand dollar house is going to be roughly forty five hundred dollars. Now, if you did one of those a month. One of those a month, that means you're going to be generating $54,000. Now, I realize there are promotional costs and everyday expenses with being a real estate agent, but if you control those to no more than 25%, you still end up with more than the $40,000 net income that you need. That's what I want you to do. Just be strategic about that. Don't just say, I'm going to go, you know, whoever calls me, I'll go see what I can do today and hope that things work out well. No, be very strategic. You need to be working toward closing $150,000 sale per month if you're not the listing agent, and that'll give you the income that you need. Now, that's not a very aggressive goal, but make sure that in doing that, you're not spending 40 hours just having people travel around, you know, showing them houses. A lot of people who are real estate agents are not really salespeople. They're simply what I call professional visitors. So don't be a professional visitor. Recognize you are a sales agent. You're good at it. You know the market. You can help people meet their needs. You can do that well, but you can also generate a reasonable income for yourself in doing so. This comes from Gary. He says, Dan, I'm 41 years old. Two years ago, I walked away from 20 years of corporate hell after experiencing burnout with no intention to return. Since then, I've dabbled with myself, working for myself as a caterer and personal trainer with minimal success, even though I'm good at doing both. I've always had the entrepreneurial bug, plus I like calling my own shots, but the steady paycheck complacency, fear of success, and fear of failure have caused me not to accomplish much in working for myself. 
Boy, there's a whole lot that's just been thrown in there, Gary, in that one long sentence. The attraction to the petty, steady paycheck, complacency, fear of success, fear of failure have caused me to not accomplish much in working for myself. Um, what is my passion? Food. I enjoy cooking for people, food, its properties, preparing it come natural to me. He goes through why that's so attractive. And then he says, caterers come a dime a dozen. My concern is that in challenging economic times, such as we are in now, catering is not the best field to be in as it isn't an essential service. From this thinking comes the thought of being pragmatic and going into nursing. What do you think? To cover all bases, should I go for the nursing degree and cater on this on that side, or do I dive fully into catering? Gary, who signs off the fearful entrepreneur. Well, here's what I think, Gary. I think people who make pragmatic decisions about their careers end up being miserable and living out lives of mediocrity. You know, I mean, I make my living from helping people introduce passion and purpose into their careers. If practical and realistic decisions really worked over the long haul, I'd be out of business. Now, I'm not, you know, wanting people to stay frustrated, but I've just seen that trying just to be practical just doesn't work. And I've had countless nurses that I've worked with over the years who wanted to be interior designers or decorators, but mom and dad said, geez, you can't be make a living being an artist or a decorator. Do something where you can always have a job. Go into nursing, you'll always have a job. And they always had a job, and they were always miserable. Uh, there's no winning in that scenario. I mean, I'm clearly going to say follow your passion. And this is the thing. We know that coaches, I'll give you a personal example. 80% of coaches never make more than $40,000 a year in doing so. Now, to me, that's pretty discouraging. I mean, is that what I'm going to look for? No, 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 no. But here, here's what I hear a lot about as well. People are saying to me right now, well, Dan, you know that you, know, you can't make a living as a coach right now. I mean, people are just struggling for the essentials. I mean, nobody coaching is going to be a luxury. Nobody's going to do that now. And I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. I mean, coaching right now is like, geez, shooting fish in a barrel. I mean, could you ever have more people who are frustrated with the direction of their career and life than there are right now? I mean, there's just a new survey that came out. Manpower says that 84% of employees say they want to change their job in 2011. 84%. We've never had that high of a number. How could you keep from being successful if you wanted to be a coach right now? But see, here's what we're dealing with. This is a mindset. The same coaches who are telling me, gee, Dan, you can't make a a success of coaching right now because nobody's going to be able to, you know, choose that. They're just doing the essentials. Those same people, when the economy swings back around again and everybody's working successfully and having a great time, they're going to come to me and say, well, gee, Dan, you know, nobody needs coaching now. Things are great. Nobody's in challenging times. The same stinking scarcity mindset is going to jump up no matter what end of the spectrum we're in. So are there a lot of caterers out here who are starving right now? Yeah, absolutely. Does that mean that you can't knock it out of the park as a caterer who really is passionate about what you're doing? No. I mean, take real estate. We just talked about a real estate question. And when when the economy is doing what it's doing right now, when we're in this kind of a, a healthy correction, 
and real estate is bombing all over the place. About 70% of real estate agents allow their license to go into what's called escrow. They just pay a minimum annual fee to keep it active, but they are not active in as agents. They let it go into escrow. What do you think happens for the remaining 30% of real estate agents? Let's say that the total activity is reduced by 50%, which is not realistic, but let's just assume that it's even that drastic. That still implies that for the remaining 30% of people who are active agents, they're going to have an increase in business. And that's exactly what happens. I mean, I've seen tons of people who have gotten out of real estate construction, out of, you know, building construction right now because it's so bad. I have some friends who are absolutely knocking it out of the park in construction right now, building really high-end, expensive, no-holds-barred kind of places because those people are not affected by a recession, relatively speaking. So, yeah, follow your passion. Don't try to just make a practical decision and think that that's going to remove this lack of success that you've had. Nope. You'll have a lot more chance of being successful in doing something. I mean, if you want to grow dandelions, do it with passion and delight and knock it out of the park in doing that. You know, make dandelion wine and sell it to people who think dandelions are pretty. I mean, I don't know. It's a crazy example. But I mean, I really believe there's more opportunity for you to be successful doing that if that's what you're passionate about than trying to be a nurse because you know that's pragmatic and practical. Well, I hope I've made myself clear on that. Well, this one says, hello, Dan. Or should I say Dr. Miller? Dr. Miller, I I have never given anybody reason to call me Dr. Miller. And most of you who are regular listeners know that I've talked about that uh, chapter in my life. Yes, I have completed my doctoral studies. I completed my doctoral studies in religion and society. And then rather than writing a dissertation, which I saw as a long, boring, unproductive process, I took the same amount of time and energy and research and wrote a book and uh, made a lot of money on doing that. Um, anyway, that that's another story. But no, Dan is fine. Dr. Miller, I am not. It says, I realize your coaching sessions have a per-time fee. And, be, and while he goes through... He says, I make $14 an hour at a temp job, deliver pizza three to four nights a week, and I'm $132,000 in debt, and no, I'm not a homeowner, so that debt doesn't even include a mortgage. Ouch. Um, long story short, I'm a 42-year-old failure. As you discussed in your book, I put very little thought into my educational plans. I got out of the service army and began attending University of Colorado Boulder, where I waited nearly three years before declaring a major music education. One semester after declaring, I let my best friend talk me out of that major, and he convinced me to switch to business. Bottom line, I switched to pre-business and floundered majorly. I started with a 3.7 GPA and left University of Colorado on academic probation with a 1.8. I left after spring semester in 1994 as my church asked me to be part of a non-denominational church planting in the summer of that year in Salt Lake City. Now, how in the world would you sabotage totally your career path because somebody asked you to be part of a church plant? Now, worthy as that is, you don't just unplug your life to do that. I mean, I don't know of many church plants where they're going to, 
you know, give you an $80,000 a year salary to go do that. Usually it implies you're going to do that while you are making a living doing something else anyway. So make, you know, look for solutions that are and solutions, not either or. Okay, ouch. After pressure from my family to get a degree, I chose marketing. As I recalled that when I was younger, I thought it would be cool to work at an ad agency. Well, I spent another four years getting that degree. My gosh. And then I could not get hired at an agency. The competition for grads was tough. And frankly, I didn't try very hard. Okay. Well, he goes on with other challenges here. This is Jim. Says he's uh, felt fulfilled when he was singing the uh, singing the Ave Maria at a rehearsal in Salt Lake City, uh, when composing emails or writing emails, when discussing a person's situation, working in the banking industry, and so on. Um, when I made a sale, or more more so after a client came to me, I hate outbound calling. There's a lot of things, Jim, that you've identified that you don't like here, but two have all these things that you say you've started and you've never completed. I mean, this, this is a pretty, uh, a pretty pathetic past that you identify here. And they go through spending, uh, I think I've added up here, about eight or nine years trying to get a bachelor's degree. But I'm not sure that was time well spent. Now, that's probably represents a whole lot of the $132,000 in debt, which again is something that you know, it uh, drives me nuts. People get a degree and come out with $132,000 in student loan debt. I mean, how do you make sense of that? It just doesn't make sense. Again, we can't turn the clock back. It is what it is. But you need to get out of this hole by finding something, finding a, a clear focus. Now, th- when you describe all the different things that you are interested in, it's not a matter of one's right and all the others are wrong. I mean, it's nice to have a lot of interest and a lot of things that you have the potential to do well. But at some point, you have to create a clear focus. You're never going to get success by just sticking your toe in the water in a lot of different things. So if it's marketing, boom. But now marketing these days, I mean, implies selling. You can't just be sitting in a cubicle somewhere designing marketing ideas. I mean, that implies right along with it your ability to sell the ideas in some way. You know, if that's something that is a real stretch for you, then you got to back away from that. I mean, you talk about music education, one of your first things that you were doing. Well, how are you going to make money with a music education degree? About the only thing that's going to be available is, yeah, you can be the next Garth Brooks if you can pull that off. Or to teach. Um, Teaching. I mean, being an ex-Garth Brooks is obviously a long shot. Teaching is going to be a long shot to ever create any money and ever get any kind of traction on this big debt that you've got. But you've got to narrow in and choose something and then do that. Now, it it sounds like you would have a a challenge working on your own. You know, you, you need to align yourself with a company and dig your heels in and do a wonderful job there for at least a couple years. If you get more clarity in that period of time, that's fine. Position yourself. Put together a resume. Take two hours. No more than that. Two hours. Sit down. Put together a resume that identifies clearly your most marketable skills. 
why would somebody want you on their team? Now, you've got all kinds of these loose, uh, questionable degrees behind you, and that, that's okay. But you've got to identify, and, and nobody's going to hire you because you have a degree in marketing. You have to be specific about what value do you bring to the table. So do that. Go to the 48 days job search section and identify how you can do that job section well. But you don't just go out here looking for a job. I mean, you're going to end up, you know, at a $10 an hour job. Well, you see you're making $14 hours. $14 an hour at a temp job. Now, that's, that's where you're going to stay if you can't be clear about your unique value. So be clear about what is it that you bring to the table that not everybody else does. Draw on all this varied experience that you've got to position yourself as being a unique player and bringing a lot of value to the table. And then get yourself, you know, a $45,000 a year position and then do a great job there. So you ramp that up and can be making some decent money three or four years from now. Tough situation. Wow. Chris says, my husband's been looking for a job for at least three years, but he seems to be having trouble getting past the hurdle of not working since 2003. He was the one to quit and stay home with our first child, and for the past few years, he's been trying to return to work. Recently, he passed three of the four CPA exams and is going back to school for his master's. Those activities seem to be generating some interest. However, nothing gets very far. Lots of resumes sent, an interview here or there, but someone else is always hired. Okay, Chris, this is a tough situation. I mean, your husband has got to not confuse activity with accomplishment. I talked about that a minute ago in a sales situation. Same thing is true here. Taking exams getting a master's, going to school, that's activity. That may just be a socially acceptable way to procrastinate what's staring him right in the eyes, his need to get in the workplace and be a provider for his family. And see, it's not the economy. It's not the recession. It's not those things that are crippling your husband. But this much time out of the game, when you say he's been looking for three years, three years looking for a job, starts to play tricks on your mind. It plays havoc with your self-esteem and confidence. I mean, those things go in the toilet. He has to be very strategic about what he's doing. Track what he's doing. Don't just say, well, gee, I'm looking, I'm reading a paper every day, I'm surfing the internet, I'm talking to somebody. If they're interested, no. Be very strategic. I used to sell advertising. Years ago, when I was building another business, I had a little advertising thing that I would do. But I would... Every morning, I would identify 14 places of business where I was going to walk in. I knew that I was not going to see the decision maker in every one of those walking in unannounced, but my goal was to get to at least eight. So eight out of the 14, I wanted to get to the decision maker. I knew that I had a 67% closing ratio. Make a three-minute presentation, 67% of the time, I would get a check before I walked out the door. And knowing that and being so clear on that, I'd sell four or five ads on an average every single day. Your husband has to be that strategic about working the numbers in his job search. Getting a job is just not a matter. It's not just a matter of luck, being in the right place. No, it's a matter of doing a job search accurately. Start with 30 to 40 target companies. Identify who are those companies where there would be a potential fit for what I do? Then send a letter of introduction, then a cover letter and resume, then a phone follow-up. That should produce five to six interviews. 
Of those five to six interviews, he should get at least two job offers. If not, then just back up. What's happening here? If he Has he identified 30 to 40 companies? If not, do that. I mean, having one or two is not enough. 30 to 40 companies. Has he sent a lot of introduction? Then a cover letter and resume. Has he done a persistent, aggressive phone follow-up with those? If not, he's not going to get the interviews. But if he gets five or six interviews, if he has five or six interviews and doesn't get a job offer, then we know there's another looming problem. The problem then is not in his resume. It's not in targeting companies. It's not in you know, sending out resume. It is in what's happening in the interview itself. I mean, I had a lady one time who approached me after a seminar that I did, and she said, Dan, can you look at my resume? And I said, well, sure. You know, I can't tell much from a resume. I need to know what you need to accomplish. But I said, well, it looks fine. Have you had any interviews? She said, yeah. I said, well, how many? She said, 53. I said, oh, my gosh. Your resume is perfect. For you to have been able to schedule 53 resumes, your resume, interviews rather, your resume is killer. It's everything you want in a resume. You don't need to be getting more resumes out there or more interviews. You need to look at why are you sabotaging the interview process once you get that far. We can look right there. So we can look at where, where is it breaking down? So if your husband's looking for a job, there's a breakdown somewhere in this process. Be strategic about the job search. And you'll find that he can break this cycle of frustration, defeat, and so on. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to end there. I've got some, a couple other great questions here that I'd love to jump into, but with the time that we've got, I'm going to finish there and bring us back into the old taking care of business here to wrap it up. You can always send your questions to askdan at 48days.com or click on the podcast link. And fill out the little form there to shoot a question in. Love to get your questions. Go through those with you. Remember the things that you have identified that you want to accomplish in 2011. Now is the time to be deciding what you want the year to look like. I know that you are. You're finding or creating meaningful, purposeful, and profitable work. Now get out there and live fully in love without reserve. Laugh readily and work with joy. Go make a difference today.